Levi chapter 2, verse 3, I will punish your descendants and splatter your faces with the manure from your festival sacrifices, and I will throw you on the manure pile. The word of God for the people of God. What in the world would make God say this to his people? I will splatter your faces with poop, and then I'll throw you in a pile of poop. Well, that's the end, and we're going to go backwards to discover what led God to this judgment. We are in week two of our reverse walk through the Minor Prophet book of Malachi, and this week, it's going to get weird. Now, Sarah and I's wedding anniversary is coming up this September. It'll be 17 years, and for the sake of this illustration, let's just say I was going to give my wife Sarah three gifts. The first gift was a new diamond for her wedding ring. It's not just any kind of diamond. No, no, no. This is a cubic zirconia. You see, cubic zirconias, they're great because they look like diamonds, but they're way less expensive. And now that she can, she can kind of flash her new diamond to all of her friends, all the while everyone oohs and ahs at how great of a husband Sarah has. Now the second gift that I give her is this t-shirt. It says, 17 years married, 204 months, 886 weeks, 6,205 days, happy anniversary. So I give her the shirt, but it's not even her size, okay? It's my size, it's for me to wear. And she says, oh, a shirt for you, thanks babe, how'd you think of that? And I respond honestly, well, I, I went to this really cool website called Google, I typed in 17 year anniversary, and the first thing that I clicked on, this came up. And I thought, it's 15 bucks, but I have to buy you something, so here you go. Now the third gift that I give her is a receipt for $59.44, okay? And this receipt is from three hours ago. It, and it's a receipt from putting gas in my car. So I give her the receipt and she's like, well, what, what's this? And I explain, well, I was pumping gas and after I finished, the machine beeped and this piece of paper came out. And what's weird was, when it asked if I wanted a receipt, I said, no, and yet the receipt came out anyway, so happy anniversary, babe. Now, if I gave her even one of these gifts, she'd probably begin to wonder if I even loved her. The cubic zirconia was a gift that I gave her out of appearance or selfishness. Okay, it made me look good. The t-shirt I bought her out of duty because I had to get her something. And then the third gift of the receipt was simply out of convenience. I didn't necessarily want it, but since I had the receipt already, I'll give this as a meaningful token of 17 years. Now, if I were to offer these gifts to my wife, she would call me out and rightfully so. But what if I did all three? And this is exactly what the religious leaders in Malachi are doing. They're offering sacrifices out of appearance, selfishness, duty, and convenience, and the Lord calls them out on it. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. The Lord of heaven's armies says to the priests, A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect that I deserve. You have shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? 
You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying, the altar of the Lord deserves no respect when you give blind animals as sacrifices. Isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Some pretty harsh words here, right? What's going on? The, the priests were the religious leaders of the day. They were to teach God's principles to his people. They were to keep the fire burning on the altar of incense. They were to offer sacrifices of the people for the people. And God rebukes them here in Malachi, saying that they have shown contempt for the name of the Lord. And the priests are like, what? How? What do you mean? And God says, defiling sacrifices. And they're like, how have we offered defiled sacrifices? And God says, by offering animals that are crippled, diseased, and injured. And God's been out of shape by this. God is upset by this. Now, all this talk about sacrifice seems very primitive and ancient, but let's look at it through a fourth century BC lens. The Hebrew word here for injured comes from the word to steal. Many scholars believe that many of the animals were perhaps stolen by wild animals or attacked. They were maimed, they were beat up, they were broken, they were injured. And now they're being offered to God. What do you do with a horse that broke its leg. Okay, when I was a child and I discovered what you do with them, it terrified me. It made me very sad, right? You shoot them. They were going to kill the animals anyway, and you can't sell uh, hurt animals. And the religious people in essence say, well, these sacrifices are not good enough for the marketplace, but they're good enough for God. And they offer waste to God and they call it worship. And it leads us to the question, are we offering our best to God or are we offering leftovers? Does God get the best of your time? Does God get the best of your talents? Does God get the best of your treasure? Are you more enamored with looking good to others than fidelity to God? There is always a reason to offer to God less than our best. We call one of my kids the king of drops. He drops everything. If something is spilled, it was the king. When he drops something and, and, and inevitably breaks it, I always say the king sits on his throne. Now, in some ways, it's a way to kind of make light of something that I'm trying not to get mad about. So when it comes to expensive technology, we buy the best screen protectors, we buy the best cases that money can buy. You may see a tablet of one of our children and ask why it's so large. Why does it look like it's on the front line of a military battle? Why does it have such a heavy duty case? And it is in honor of the king. Several years back, we had an old, old iPad. It stopped working. It would turn on, but the screen would never change. I tried every troubleshoot the Apple Store recommended, so we couldn't use it, we couldn't fix it, we couldn't sell it. So what did we do? We destroyed it. Dex and Ivy and I go into the street with hammers and safety goggles, 
and we threw it down, we smashed it, we cracked it. No joke, in the end, it caught on fire and blew up. It was awesome. It was everything I had hoped it would be. Don't do this at home, kids, but it was a great time. Now, because it didn't cost us anything, we sacrificed it. Now, if it was a new tablet, that's another story. This is exactly what's going on in Malachi. And this is what goes on in our own hearts as well. There will always be reasons not to give God your best. It's inconvenient to give your best to God. It's selfless to give your best to God. And it doesn't always make you look good. And did you notice that these are the opposite of the 17th anniversary gifts that I gave Sarah at the beginning of the sermon? Yes, love is costly. It doesn't make you look good. It's always inconvenient and it's selfless, not selfish. But that's what love does. Love is always costly. Love is always inconvenient. How can you honor God with your best? Let the Lord speak to you about that. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your talents. Serving others. Serving at the church or a church. Going to lunch with someone who doesn't have a lot of friends. Maybe it's being generous with your money. Many of you know that our church has a huge heart for Malawi, Africa. And that some of us have spent lots of time there over the past couple of decades. And I've been to a lot of church services in Malawi. And I remember one specific church service in a village called Chigamula. When they took the offering during the worship service, everybody just danced and brought their gifts to the altar. This is a common practice in Malawi. People would bring their money, Malawian kwacha. They would bring crops from their harvest. They even brought their chickens. They brought chickens. Right there on the stage of church, chickens just hanging out. Now, if I give a sermon that isn't good, I will tell Sarah that I laid an egg on the stage and there in that Malawian church service was an animal literally laying an egg on the stage. The people offered their best, even when the best that they had was livestock. And the reasons the priests were offering defiled sacrifices in Malachi chapter one are very similar to our own reasons for not offering our best to God. Convenience, doing things cheap and easy. It's just a lot cheaper and easier to offer God a defective animal rather than a perfect one. And it gets really real when we translate ancient sacrifices to our present day bank accounts. Because livestock was your income and your livelihood in 400 BC. Back then, you didn't look at your phone to find your balance. You looked outside. Your checking account was the flock of sheep. Their offering lambs and our offering of dollars really is a direct correlation. First Peter 3.8 says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Someone who had a heart for money read this very passage and was amazed. And so he asked, Lord, is it true that a thousand years to us is like one minute for you? God said, it is true. 
Then he says, then a million dollars must be like one penny to you. And God says, well, yes. And so the man says, God, will you give me one of those pennies? And God said, all right, I will. Wait here one minute. Money affects us. Amen? I've got a feeling that if I were to take a poll of the things in our lives that we're most worried about, concerned about, lose sleep about, financial issues would be in the top two or three, perhaps even number one. This affects us. God speaks to us in the middle of our worry and says, trust me, put me first. It's not all bad news here. Look at verse nine. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. The phrase, beg God to be merciful to you, I don't think it's sarcastic. The Hebrew phrase is, entreat yourself to God. The Hebrew word here for beg is literally hala, okay? Hala at God, and he's gonna holla back. But he ain't no holla back girl. Every time I read the word holla this week while studying, Gwen Stefani was singing in my head. It's a funny word in English, but the Hebrew meaning is rich and beautiful. It means to beg God, to become weak before God, to entreat yourself to God. The image in this passage is that of a child being held and stroking the face of their parent in order to gain favor. When children are little, they do this when they're crying. And the Lord here is saying, it's not too late to turn things around. There's always hope. Some of you need to hear that right now. Malachi chapter two, verse one. Listen, you priests, this command is for you. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name, says the Lord of heaven's armies or I will bring a terrible curse against you. I will curse even the blessings you receive. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you have not taken my warning to heart. I will punish your descendants and splatter your faces with the manure from your festival sacrifices, and I will throw you on the manure pile. Then at last you will know it was I who sent you this warning so that my covenant with the Levites can continue, says the Lord of heaven's armies. There's that verse. The King James version of this, okay, the British version, doesn't say splatter your faces with manure. It says, I will spread dung upon thy faces. Okay, King James, he was just a little more proper, right? The CEB says, I will scatter feces on your faces, which I like that translation because it's a bit of a rhyme, okay? Feces on your faces. Why does God use such a gross and disgusting metaphor. Imagine the parade of diseased animals limping and stumbling blindly toward the temple. Their oozing sores were covered with flies. Some of them probably even collapsed before they got there. And one of the jobs of the priests was to slaughter these animals, to remove the manure, okay? That's the crappy part of the job. And then throw it outside of the temple. 
And God says to the priests in the same manner that the poop that you throw all splatter on your faces. And then I'm going to throw you in a pile of it. Now, this was an image or metaphor that they would take to heart. Okay, it resonated. When we place our blessings over the blesser, what is blessed may become cursed. Another way of saying this is our second best doesn't satisfy God and our second best doesn't even satisfy us. I will curse even the blessings that you receive. The, the word curse here is arar, which means to remove the place of blessing, the loss of blessing. The things that we place above God, the things that we've been pursuing, the things that we've said, well, if I can only get that, then I'll be happy, then I'll be content. Those very blessings, when placed above God, can become curses. The place of blessing can be removed. Have you ever experienced this? I read this, the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. Have you ever experienced the truth of this? Malachi's contemporary Haggai says this in chapter one, verse five. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I'm not sure of another passage of scripture that better describes our world's crazy and ineffective pursuit of things that don't satisfy. Have you experienced the truth of this passage? If I just had this amount of money, then I'd be happy. If I just had this job, I'd be happy. If I just had this person, I... When you place the blessings over the blesser, we're moving in the wrong direction. In 1981, a Minnesota radio station reported a stolen car. Police were staging an intense search for the vehicle and the driver, even to the point of placing announcements on local radio stations to try and contact the thief, hoping he was listening. Now on the front seat of that stolen car sat a box of crackers that, unbeknownst to the thief, had been laced with rat poison. The car owner had intended to use the crackers as bait. And now the police and the owner of the car were more interested in apprehending the thief to save his life rather than to recover the vehicle. So often when we run from God, we run into this life of pleasing ourselves above everything else. We feel like God doesn't want us anymore. He's so mad at me. We feel like we're running from God's punishment when actually we're eluding his rescue. Is that you today? Are you avoiding God? Are you avoiding giving him your best? Are you living for yourself? Because we keep longing and longing. We're drinking, but never have our fill. We're eating, but it's not enough. We're getting money, but it's going into pockets that have holes in them. None of these things satisfy. The great theologian C.S. Lewis says, if there is a desire in your soul that no earthly thing can satisfy, it proves that you weren't created to be content with what the world has to offer. Instead, you were created for something more. You were created for someone more. So much more. The priests in Malachi's day were playing priest. 
they were playing religion. They wanted the benefits of being a priest without the cost. God would have none of it. They were playing the priests. Today, are we as Christians playing church? Wanting to experience the greatness of God without living the life of sacrifice. It's not how it works. It's not how love works. Love is costly. When you love, benefits accrue to the other's account at the expense of self. Love gives, it doesn't take. Religion is not a game you play. Following Jesus is not something you believe. It's the life you live. Many years ago, the Archbishop of Paris told the following true story. He says, one night many years ago, three young men set out to sample all of the sinful delights that the city of Paris had to offer. For hours and hours, they consumed themselves in every possible pleasure, holding nothing back, indulging their wildest fantasies. When morning came and the light of the sun began to shine, they found themselves lounging on the steps of a great cathedral, recounting their exploits. Suddenly, a strange idea hit one of them. Why not go inside and confess to the priest all that they had done? They meant it as a blasphemous joke, the ultimate insult after a night spent in sin. It would be their crowning glory. So, fortified with the laughter of his friends, one young man volunteered to go in and see the priest. And he began to confess his sins loudly, one by one, in long, lurid detail. And as he did this, his friends began to laugh. The priest realized very quickly what was happening, and he interrupted the young man and said, Young man, I have heard enough. You needn't confess anything else. If you would like to be forgiven of all your sins, you only need to do one thing. Outside is a big cross. Simply go there, kneel down, look at the cross and say these words, Lord Jesus, I know all you have done for me and I don't give a shit. Saying nothing, he walked outside, knelt before the cross, looked up at the dying Christ and said these words, Lord Jesus, I know all you have done for me and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. And then and there, in the dim morning light of sunrise, this young man's life was changed forever. The Archbishop of Paris ended with these words, I know this is a true story because I was that young man. Are you playing priest? Are you offering more than gifts? Are you offering yourself to God? Are you running from God? Eluding his pursuit of you is eluding your rescue. I know that church can be just something that we do. For those of you watching or listening online, it's something we do weekly. It's good for our souls, but it's more than that. God is real. And he really loves us and he really loves you. And he's really intent on you. And he cares about how we live and how we love. So may our lives be conformed 
to the image of Christ. God, may it be so in every way of our lives. May we not just offer our money or our time, may we offer our very selves that we may look and love more like Jesus. In your name, amen. We wanna thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. We just pray God's blessing in every way on you and your family and friends, wherever you are watching or listening from, whether it be in Iowa or Oregon or Mexico or Columbus, Ohio. We see you, we love you, and God sees you, and God loves you. Grace and peace in the Middle East.